Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship, leading us in song to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Last week, we read in the Gospel of Luke that a priest named Zechariah was in the temple lighting the incense, which was a really high honor. Of course, they chose it by lot, so he didn't know he was going to be doing that. And as he was in, you know, the incense is supposed to stay lit. So in the morning and in the evening, they would light the incense in the temple. And while he was doing that, all of a sudden, he was taken, you know, gripped with intense fear. And it turned out to be an angel of God, and it terrified him. And this angel told Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a son who would prepare the nation of Israel for the coming of the Lord, the coming of their Messiah that they've been waiting for for centuries and millennia. Only one problem. He and Elizabeth couldn't have children. They were never able to have children, even in their childbearing years, and now they were well past childbearing years. So how could this happen? But the angel tells him that this child is going to do great things. He is going to confront the Israelite nation and bring many, many back to God. And many will repent and turn their hearts back to God. He will have this enormous ministry in the land, preparing the nation for the coming of the Lord, their Messiah. Excuse me. But even with all that, and even with that powerful angel standing before him that terrified him, he just thought, we're old. So because he refused to believe God's messenger, the angel took away his ability to speak and said that he would not be able to speak until the baby was born. That was his sign. So Zechariah finishes up his priestly term that week he was in, and he and Elizabeth return home with Zechariah unable to talk for nine months. And then we read of the angel Gabriel, the same angel that visited Zechariah, going to Nazareth. Nazareth was a small backwoods town that didn't have really any importance to people. The angel Gabriel appears to a young woman named Mary. He tells Mary that he, she is fi, fa, sorry, highly favored by God. <clears throat> She's scared with his presence. He tells her that she is going to conceive and give birth to a son whom she is to call Jesus. And the name Jesus means God saves, the Lord saves. But again, only one problem. Mary is not married, and she's never been with a man in that way. So the angel tells her that the Holy Spirit will come over and overshadow her, and through the miraculous power of God, she will conceive and give birth 
to the very Son of God, the literal Son of God. And then he says, and your relative Elizabeth is now in her sixth month of pregnancy, the one they said could never have children. For nothing is impossible with God. So here's the question. <clears throat> How do these very unusual, even humanly impossible births fit in with these Old Testament prophecies of a conquering king coming and defeating the, the enemies of Israel and lifting up the nation to be the top nation, the, the highest nation in power. How do these surprising, well, how do these unsettling birth announcements lead to this? Well, you know, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, <clears throat> Luke says that he is writing to a man named Theophilus in order that Theophilus can take all the information that he's heard about Jesus and everything that Jesus did. And Luke said he went and interviewed eyewitnesses and put it all in order so Theophilus could put it all together and just kind of like get it organized in his mind. So Luke begins with these two unsettling birth announcements. <clears throat> And now he moves to a very surprising visit. And see how this adds to our story. I'd like you to follow along as I read Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. <clears throat> it says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So the angel told Mary, like, I, like we saw, that <clears throat> her relative Elizabeth is pregnant in her sixth month. So here's Mary's response to that. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So you have Elizabeth shouting in a loud voice, her baby leaping for joy. What is this? Well, you know what we're talking about here is the active presence of the Holy Spirit of God in this meeting between these two chosen women. And when Mary's voice reached Elizabeth's ears, the baby leaped in her womb. It made some kind of big motion in her womb. At that time, the Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth, and she, with a very loud and excited voice, blessed Mary and blessed the child in her womb. Now, the baby in Elizabeth's womb also moved at the greeting from Mary. 
The angel had told Zechariah that his baby would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. So as the mother of the Messiah and the mother of his prophet, you know, Mary and Elizabeth, as they enter into each other's presence, the Holy Spirit of God makes his presence known very evidently. And it is the Holy Spirit rejoicing in the presence of the Son of God. The one who has come to redeem mankind. You see the interaction there. You see the reaction of the Holy Spirit in both Elizabeth and in the baby. And you know, here we have, what we have here is John the Baptist in baby form, in a sense, rejoicing at the arrival of the Messiah. And later on, that will be their adult ministry. John will be out calling all the people back to the Lord, and he's waiting for the coming of the Messiah. So you can kind of see a foreshadowing of that, even as they are babies in the wombs. So now what do we see? You know, we don't see a warrior strapping on his helmet and riding in on his military stallion like, you know, some of the Old Testament prophecies lead us to uh, imagine. But we do see the unmistakable hand of God working things out that could not happen unless it was by the miraculous power of God. We see these two ladies who should not be able to have children in their conditions. Now they are both pregnant, and they're coming, and this baby is reacting to the presence of the other baby, and you're just seeing God in there all the way through it. And even though they were probably expecting you know, a warrior to come in and be the Messiah, wondering which child will grow up to be the Messiah, maybe. Even though that didn't happen, we do see the hand of God in all of this in a way that couldn't be any other. Miraculous hand of God. And we're going to see something else also. Mary is about to tell us something very important about God as she offers him praise in the next verses. You know, our society, and we, I don't have to uh, tell you this, but our society is becoming more and more ignorant about the God of the Bible. Our society is moving further and further away from the knowledge of the Bible and the knowledge of God. Our major cultural institutions have basically turned away from God and have created gods of their own making. And it's driving people further and further into confusion. I mean, we have troubles in our nation now that come from not having relationships with God. It's driving people further and further into confusion and emptiness, decadence, violence, and chaos. And what Mary says in these next verses can give us a true picture of God and what is good 
what is true goodness and not made up goodness. <clears throat> and what we are experiencing, with what we are experiencing in our culture, this passage will highlight the importance of the church, of us, of Christians, the church having our Christian influence into our society, you know, with our neighbors, with people we work with. We, we need to be bringing more than ever the knowledge of God to our society. We have to be the ones standing in the gap, ready to reach out to others, having God's truth, because this is the truth of God. No matter how much people scoff at it or ignore it, it is the truth of God. So I want to look at Mary's response to Elizabeth's spirit-filled, over-the-top, joyful greeting of Mary coming into her presence. It's, it's in kind of a poetic form <clears throat> in the Bible. And some of it is quotation of Scripture from the Old Testament. But let's look at verses 46 through uh, 49, first of all. And Mary said, this is right after the greeting, of course. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary is responding to God's kindness to her personally. She says her spirit and her soul rejoices and glorifies God. Her whole being is enraptured with praise for God. She can't believe how kind and gracious God is treating her. He's acting toward her. How he has shown such undeserved favor on this very lowly servant. That's what she's saying. How could he do this much for me? So undeserving. Now, you know, that attitude is, I'm guessing, a lot of the reason God chose Mary for this role. That attitude is a true or an attitude of true humility. Not pretend humility for show, or just because we might know the, the words to say to make us sound Christian, but true heartfelt humility from a lowly servant to a glorious, powerful, yet gracious and lovingly Heavenly Father. And I believe this attitude of honest humility that Mary is showing comes from a proper view of our lowly state and God's glorious state. I think when we get that all lined out right, how undeserving we are with the backdrop of God's greatness and holiness and goodness and love. And when we get all that lined out, it makes the difference between somebody bowing before God, repenting of our sins, 
committing to loving and following him and being grateful to him. And the person who looks out at the world and says, huh, I don't believe in God. I think that makes all the difference. And people will say, I don't believe in God because why would he allow all this suffering to go on? Or this inequity? Or these bad circumstances? These unfair circumstances? And you know, you hear this. I've heard it in <clears throat> podcasts and I've, I've read it and I've heard it in debates and that sort of thing. And when I hear these comments, I begin to think something like this. So you are telling God how he must act in order for you to believe in him. And he must satisfy the standards you have chosen for him in order for him to be God. And he must act in the way you have determined in order for him to even have a shot at being God. But then, <clears throat> that pretty much makes you God. If you are the one who determines what he must do to be able to rightly claim to be God. And then I even think, you know, I personally would not want to have a God who would have to answer to you, or even me, in order to exist. That would actually be a very puny God. <clears throat> but you know, in Mary's response, you see this very respectful, submissive attitude to the God of the Bible of someone who sees herself in true form as a human being lowly, as God all-glorious. And that's what lead us, leads us to right thinking. Because God is true, and he has created the world. And we don't, can't answer every question, but we know that he's glorious and powerful and loving, and he sent his son. And we know that we're undeserving. That's the basis for everything. <clears throat> Now, in verses 50 to 53, Mary goes on. She says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. <clears throat> He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You know, one thing we learn from the Bible is that God doesn't go, or doesn't much go for the proud and the arrogant, does he? You know, when we as humans are proud and arrogant, we're not acting according to reality. We've just built up this false image of what things are. We're not going to God with what he deserves, and we're not really seeing ourselves in the true light. Now, our society pretty much screams at us to be proud and arrogant. 
heavily encourages us to be proud and arrogant. I'm not talking about having a reasonable measure of self-respect. I think that's very legitimate. <clears throat> We're made in the image of God. You know, we should have a sense of self-respect. But I'm talking about a pride that won't listen to anyone else's ideas. A pride that slays anyone who might question something we do or say. I read headlines of articles, and it talks about somebody criticizing somebody, and in, in, in that headline it'll say, so-and-so criticizes, and so-and-so slayed them. And if you read the article, it says, they said something like, oh yeah? That's why I quit reading the articles. <clears throat> They're so disappointing. You know, our society pushes us to be proud and arrogant. A pride that makes us feel we deserve something just because someone else has it. A pride that says, I live by my truth. I discover truth by looking down deep inside myself and discovering truth within me. That society encourages us to travel down that road. And so that instead of seeing truth as something that comes to us from God, it's something that we ourselves, you know, generate. This passage says God's mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And that word fear means to have a deep reverence for God because of who he is. <clears throat> it means we listen to what he says. It means we acknowledge his greatness and that he is the one who gives life and has the answers to life and has all knowledge. And it's him we go to. And we submit to him. Any thoughts that we have that aren't his, that aren't, don't go with his, we just push them out. We reject them. We're talking about the attitude Mary had when she called God the Mighty One and herself his humble servant. That's lining everything up in proper order. <clears throat> and I'm seeing today that people, it seems like they've lost the ability to reason. And they say things or do things that just don't make sense. And it's Frustrating just watching and listening. But I think it's because they don't have the proper order lined up. That God is glorious. He is the truth. And we, are, we should be humble. And we are lowly. And we need to serve him and listen to him. And you know, when we see things as they truly are, life works. <laughs> it doesn't take away every pain. It doesn't give us everything we want, but it all makes sense. Because you know what? It's the truth that sets us free. <clears throat> you know, Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. And he was mainly talking about, you know, finding the truth in him and then having eternal life. But it works all the way through life, too. It's the truth that sets us free that allows us to get over obstacles, that allows us to put things together right. And when we, when we stumble around in falsehood, 
That's frustrating. That's depressing. Now, in our last few verses, Mary brings it back to God, to what God has done for his people. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. He has helped Israel by remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants. She's talking about God fulfilling his promises that he made to Abraham many, many, many years before. And you know, if you think about Israel and all the history that they've gone through, all that they've experienced, amazing, a lot of it's so horrible. Israel's gone through, since God has promised things to Abraham personally, you know, back then when God promised, Israel wasn't even a nation, right? And if you think of everything they've gone through, From the time of the patriarchs to being slaves in Egypt, going through the exodus and that journey to the promised land that took a 40 year hiatus or, you know, uh, change of route. The taking of the promised land, the time of the judges, the time of the kings, time of the prophets. Captivities to Babylon when they were under Babylon's rule and Persia and Greece and then part of the Roman Empire when they moved back to the land. And after all of that history, God remembers to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants. Now, Mary isn't saying, of course, that God forgot and he just remembered. She's just saying that God is fulfilling his promise After a long time of waiting, after taking Israel through all kinds of circumstances, and then he's turned his attention back to do what he said he was going to do a long time ago. But he always had it planned that way. All that time between the promises and fulfillment was all a part of God's plan. And here today, these two unsuspecting births were a predetermined part of God's solid plan of redemption. So he's always faithful. He never forgets as we think of forgetting. He places everything in their exact timing, even if it means thousands of years of a gap. He's got it all planned out. And he has it from planned out from the beginning to the end. And he's always faithful. He always remembers, so to speak. So what are we to think of these terribly unsettling birth announcements that seem to come out of nowhere? You know, when we see things happen, they seem to come out of nowhere. And what do we think about this visit by Mary to Zechariah and Elizabeth's home where the Holy Spirit makes his presence known unmistakably. And Elizabeth's excited greeting and her baby's movement in the womb. And then Mary's song of giving praise to God. 
Well, here's what I see. I see that God is faithful and merciful to those who revere him and put their trust in him. It's by faith, isn't it? God is the one who acts. He's the one that's faithful. He's the one that has the power. He's the one that has the plan. He carries it out. So we must put our trust in him. That's what it's all about. That's why Christianity is called the faith. He always remembers his promises. Even when some of them take thousands of years to completely work themselves out. We must never tell him what he must do in order for us to think that he is God. I know that sounds kind of silly for us to say that, but we can slip into that, can't we? The whole world has slipped into that. We must remember that he is the all-glorious, all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal God of creation, and we are his humble servants. We cannot rely on society or our culture to tell us the truth about God. It just won't happen. Some people think that since they are famous and wealthy, they're experts on everything. I always remember right after I became a Christian, seeing some, it might have been Elizabeth Taylor on TV or somebody like that, and they asked her about marriage the person interviewing her, and the whole audience got so quiet because, you know, being married eight times, you got to know what the answer is now. (laughs) And I thought, why would you ask somebody that's had seven divorces what marriage is all about? (laughs) But that's what we do. But God exalts the humble and resists the proud. And the bottom line is that if we want to work in the truth and we want to know up from down and left from right and if we would like to steer away from or avoid emptiness or frustration or deception or constant angst, we really need to know God for who he really is. We really need to know God in truth. And we really need to realize who we are in humility. And if we take that road of humility, we'll be lifted up. We'll be humbly lifted up, and the pieces will fit, and we can expect fulfillment. Not trouble-free lives, Not a life of of ease, but a life of fulfillment and a life of following the truth and finding God. And so now here we end with Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and you kind of put the time together. It's probably she stayed there till the birth and then returned home. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. And just to think that it has lasted and survived all these millennia. And we have it as our treasure. We thank you for preserving it, for watching over its transmission. We thank you that we have it in abundance, and we pray for those in the world who would give anything just to have one copy amongst a neighborhood. And so, Father, we pray for them, that they could continue to get your word as, as groups try to make that possible. And, Father, we pray that we would take advantage of having the abundance of your word and that we may influence our neighborhoods, schools, society with the truth of the Christian gospel of who God is and who we are. We thank you for your truth and pray that we can live by it. In Jesus' name, amen.